looked around this room this morning and I have to tell you that I was somewhat overtaken by a bit of emotion. Um, it's been a tough week this week uh, for me personally. Not only did I turn a year older, uh, and that's, yeah, I'm just, hey, someone looked at me this week and said, hey, what's the alternative? <laughs> and I said, listen, I'm, I'm happy to be 62. Uh, I'm grateful. I got to play golf on Friday to celebrate my birthday at Streamsong, which is a really nice course. And the, the buddy that I went with is Dave McCutcheon, a good friend of mine from Venice. Uh, works at, he's a vice president at PGT, and he's a good golfer. And I thought, today he's going to have a little mercy on me. He didn't. He shot, I think, a one over on that course, the black course, and I shot a none of your business, but um, <laughs> it was fun. It was fun. But I spent most of my week in Haiti not planning to spend most of my week in Haiti. I was supposed to be back Tuesday night and be here on Wednesday night, and my plane got canceled on Tuesday night and then got delayed and deplaned again on Wednesday. And sometime I'll have to tell that whole story because it's just too long and probably too unbelievable. Uh, I'll just say it this way. JetBlue made Haitian customs look like a party. <laughs> and that's about all I'll say. During the dictatorship of President Ceausescu of Romania, Dr. Joseph Son wrote a paper on the principles of God's way of life and then gave the president a copy. Dr. San was immediately arrested and then threatened with life if he did not rescind what he had written. His reply was a calm, loving smile. The police demanded, why are you smiling? He then revealed the secrets that overcame his fear and won the admiration of his captors. It was late in the summer of 1977 and Romania was under the communist rule when this Baptist minister put out all his worldly concerns in order after the manner of a dying man. He said this, and he was buoyed by the courage of his wife, Elizabeth, who had prepared for what would certainly be martyrdom. He was met by an officer from the secret police in a restaurant at a nondescript Romanian hotel. The communist officer had pledged to do what previous secret police officials had failed to do, and that was to silence San's ministry by offering him a lucrative secular job in exchange for a promise that he would never preach the gospel. Turning down the job spelled at least hard time in a prison camp it might well mean execution. San met with a man, and without flinching, he turned down the job. I told the man, now I am ready to die. You said you were going to finish me as a preacher. I asked my God, and he wants me to continue to be a preacher. Now I have to make one of you two angry, and I decided it is better to make you angry than God angry. But I know you, sir, you cannot stand this kind of opposition, and you will kill me in one way or another. But I have accepted that whether or not you kill me, you should know that even if you put everything in order, 
I am ready to die, but as long as I am free, I will preach the gospel. Joseph's son said, God is so much in control that even his enemies at the end of their attempts to destroy his cause discover that they have simply pushed it forward. Speaking after 70 years of communism, rule in Romania, Joseph Son said, we are not to think in terms of success, we are to think in terms of obedience. This morning, I want to use the example of two preachers, Joseph Son, someone that you may have heard of. In fact, I'm sure there are Romanians in this congregation today, and they would know the name and would very very much appreciate the name of Pastor Joseph Son. But how many of you have ever heard of the name W.D. Barry? I didn't think so. Years ago, when I was a student pastor, my first really full-time ministry position, uh, I was going to be the student pastor at First Baptist Church of West Frankfort, Illinois, following my college years and as I was preparing to go to seminary, I had planned to go to Southwestern Seminary in Fort Worth, Texas. So I went to be the summer youth pastor that summer at First Baptist Church. The only other staff member on the staff at the time, we had no senior pastor, was this senior adult pastor, Reverend W.D. Berry. Again, he was not someone that you would know, even recognize. He held no positions of prominence in the Southern Baptist Convention. But for 36 years of his life, he had remained faithful in serving a small, rural, southern Illinois First Baptist Church. And now he was serving in his latter years. At this time, he was in his 80s as the senior adult pastor with pastoral care. What was amazing was that it was not his flashiness, but rather his faithfulness. Here was a man serving alongside of a 20 two-year-old, green, wet-behind-the-ears preacher boy, preacher's kid. Probably thought he knew everything there was to know about ministry. And I had the opportunity to walk alongside this great man of God. Nobody really knew his name. His fervency for the Lord didn't waver. Instead, it had increased over the years. He had not become bitter but he had become better. I want you to understand that that man was placed, I believe, in that portion, in that time in my life because I learned very quickly what it meant to him to finish well. Today, we conclude the Joshua journey, and as we do, we see another man who finished well. His name was Joshua, and at the age of 110, he preached two of the most powerful messages to the people of God that they had ever heard. If you have your Bibles this morning, turn with me. We're not going to read the entire two chapters. Otherwise, the Methodists would beat us to lunch today. Okay? So we are going to look at portions of these scriptures of Joshua 23 and 24. And if you have your notes, they were handed to you this morning. I would urge you to get them out because not so that you can remember what Alan said, but so you can remember what God said to your heart today about finishing well. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That's what Joshua said. But in Joshua 23... 
verse 1. The scripture says this. A long time afterward, when the Lord had given rest to Israel from all their surrounding enemies, and Joshua was old and well advanced in years, I want you this morning to think with me about three things about Joshua that we need to hear and that we need to apply in our lives, both individually and as a church body. The first thing is this. I want you to see with me Joshua's commitment. Now understand this. Joshua was well over 100 years old at this time. He had walked with the Lord all of this time for a long time. And as I began to study this and look at this even again this week, over and over again, I began to think about how Joshua and his friend Caleb wholly followed the Lord. Scripture says of them in Numbers chapter 27, So the Lord said to Moses, Take Joshua, the son of Nun, a man in whom is the Spirit, and lay your hand on him. Joshua was such a man. The Bible says in Deuteronomy 34, And Joshua, the son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom. For Moses had laid his hands on him. So the people of Israel obeyed him and did as the Lord had commanded Moses. Joshua was a man full of God's spirit, full of wisdom, full of courage, full of obedience, and full of reverence. He was a true man of God. We read also in Joshua chapter 24, verse 29, After these things, Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died, being 110 years old. And they buried him in his own inheritance at timnath Seri, which is the hill country of Ephraim, north of the mountain of Gash. Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua and had known all the work that the Lord did for Israel. Notice those last few words, that the Lord did for Israel. Much like Brother Barry, the senior adult pastor that I served with, much like Joseph's son, Joshua had a powerful spiritual influence upon others, even up to the day he died and long after he died. If God would grant me one request, it would be this. I want to finish well. I want to finish this journey extremely well. But I also understand, ladies and gentlemen, that it's only indicative if I am obedient, God's portion of this is up to him. And he is faithful. He is good. He is kind. He is, he is trustworthy. He is, he is worthy this morning as we praised him, as we worshiped him. I, I thought there was about ready to become a, 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 an eruption here. A, 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 you know, as we sang about he has conquered the grave and, and I'm no longer held by sin. Uh, listen, that, that ought to make Baptists shout. I mean, we, we sometimes become so dignified when in fact, I, I believe what Vance Havner said, we're petrified. You know, I, I, I know that sometimes we, we as Southern Baptists think that, that somehow we, we have to 
remain this, this dignified sort of, not, let, let me tell you, I'm not going to tell you how to worship or, or what you need to do, but listen, I have seen some of you at basketball games and football games and all that sort of thing. I go to the Venice game when they play Manatee High School, so I know what some of you act like. Okay. I have golfed with some of you, and you've shown more emotion on the golf course than you have in the worship service. Y'all are looking at me really spiritual this morning. <laughs> I'm telling you, he is, he is worthy of our praise. He is worth, and he is, if you don't get anything out of this message this morning, get this, he is faithful. He is faithful. Joshua shows us his commitment. He served the Lord. If you read Joshua 23 and 24, and I urge you to do that today, when you get home from church, when you get home from lunch today, read it. You will find out that all through those chapters, and my wife, as we talked about this message, she said, Alan, notice how many times that, that the Lord says, I did, I did this, I did that, I took, I brought, I did, I would not listen, but delivered, I gave, I sent. God has been so good to First Baptist Church of Bradenton. Over the years, God has been faithful. Amen? Amen? He has been faithful. And he is faithful right now. And he is going to be faithful in the future. And so Joshua's commitment was he was faithful. But look at Joshua's concern because in Joshua chapter 23 and verses uh, verse 2, Joshua summoned all Israel, its elders, its heads, its judges and officers, and said to them, I'm now old and well advanced in years, and you have seen all that the Lord your God has done to all these nations for your sake. For it is the Lord your God who has fought for you. Behold, I have allotted to you as an inheritance for your tribes those nations that remain along with all the nations that I've already cut off, from the Jordan to the great sea in the west, the Lord your God will push them back before you, drive them out of your sight, and you shall possess their land, just as the Lord your God promised you. Therefore, be very strong to keep and to do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, turning aside from it neither to the right hand nor to the left, the second thing is I would, I would say to you that Joshua not only had a commitment, but he had a concern. Joshua had lived a long time. I told you that I turned 62 yesterday. My wife brought me all the way up here to Bradenton. She had eaten at, or actually to Anna Marie Island. She had eaten at the Sandbar restaurant. She said, I'm taking you there for lunch tomorrow. I, I know we were paying for the view, the beach. But the food was really good, too. I'm, they're not paying me to say this, so it, it was really good. But we had a wonderful day. We just, we just kind of relaxed in the afternoon. and it, it was a fun. I can remember, though, thinking, if, if I get to be 60, that's old. I really feel like it's the new 30. And... 80's not looking old anymore. 80's looking like 
Not bad. My mother-in-law is 87. Well, actually, <laughs> y'all will really get tickled. This. I have two mother-in-laws. You know this because my late wife, my late wife died in 2005 and her mother is still alive and she's 94. And my wife's mother is 87. And let me tell you, if she walked in this place, you would say, there's no way she's 87. She's beautiful. In fact, many times I've said to her, not, not trying to, you know, get any brownie points or anything, but you and, and Karen and, and Jennifer, you, you look like sisters. I mean, my, my poor father-in-law, when he was alive, he got that all the time because he's like most of us guys. When people look at our wives, they go, what'd you do, Ro rob the cradle? I mean, good night. And, and really, when you looked at Haywood and you looked at June, you would go, oh, my goodness. There's quite an age difference. Well, there really wasn't. Uh, but, but my mother-in-law at 87 goes to Pilates four times a week. Four times a week. I can't even spell it let alone go to it. But she goes out and works out, and, and she told me the other day, she said, I'm going to live to be 100. I said, you're going to outlive me, aren't you? She said, I probably will, the way you eat. <laughs> she told me one time when I was a little bigger, not much, but a little bigger, she said, you know, you, you can lose 40 pounds and be fat. <laughs> and then you know what she said? She's a southern gal, bless your heart. You know what that, that's like? That's like saying whatever you want to say and then putting a little whipped cream on the top. A little cherry. Bless your heart. Bless your heart, sister. You can lose 40 pounds and still be fat. How did I get off on this? What I was telling you was, <laughs> what I was telling you was, she told me the other day, she said, I want to finish strong and well. I want to, I want to, I want to be serving the Lord. I want to, she, she's going on a missions trip this fall. I said, June, are you sure? She said, you're always telling people they need to go. I'm going. And I, I thought, I, I thought, I am always telling people they need to go. Listen, Joshua was concerned in his older years about some things. And let me point them out to you. Because Joshua had this great fear that once people got settled in the promised land, they would forget God. Don't we have that tendency? Everything's going right, man. Church is going well. Preachers even have that tendency. People are coming. And, and, and the budget is being made and all those things. And we go, I must be doing a good job. It's not your job. It's God's. It's God's faithfulness. He wants us to be obedient, but it, it is his work. And Joshua feared that they would compromise their relationship with God. How would they do that? Well, look at verse 6. They would compromise on their convictions. Therefore, be very strong to keep all and do that is written in the, in the book of the law of Moses, turning aside from it neither to the right nor to the left. Ladies and gentlemen, one of the reasons churches sometimes get at a standstill is because they forgot their convictions. A conviction is a strong belief regarding something on which you will not change or bend. It affects who you are and how you act. Can I ask you an important question this morning? What, what are your convictions? On what is it that you will not compromise? 
The reason many of us live questionable lives is because we lack biblical convictions. The reason we lack biblical convictions is because you avoid exposing yourself to biblical truth. Jesus said this, and this is the judgment, the light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil for everyone who does wicked things, hates the light, does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes, runs to the light so that he may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. It takes courage to have convictions and such courage comes from the word of God. But But not only was Joshua afraid that they would lose their convictions, he was afraid they would compromise in their their companionships, in their fellowship. Look at verse 7. That you may not mix with these nations remaining among you or make mention of the names of their gods or swear by them or serve them or bow down to them. Though the Israelites had defeated and driven out many of their enemies, they were still there were still many around. There were many that remained. Joshua knew that these remaining enemy nations would have a lot of influence upon God's people. The longer they lived around them, the more likely it would be that some of them would begin to intermingle. Such intermingling would make the people of God very susceptible to lowering their standards and to becoming more and more like those around them. I'm always concerned when I hear someone make a statement such as this. The church needs to understand or needs to adapt to the culture. I believe we do need to understand the culture in which we live. And let me tell you, it is not 1970 anymore, ladies and gentlemen. It's not even 2010 anymore. We are are radically shifting to not just a post-God, but a post-God-God culture. We, we're not there anymore. This is, it, you know, for someone to say to me, we live in a Christian nation. No, we don't. Who ever told you that? At one time, I believe we lived in a God-fearing nation. We don't live in a God-fearing nation anymore. The truth is known. But, but I want you to hear my heart today. He was afraid that they would so intermingle that, that there would be no difference. We're to, we're, to be, we're to be salt and light. I'm not saying we're to be obnoxious. I'm not saying that we're to be, uh, you know, out there just intentionally offensive. But I, wanna, I want you to hear me. The cross is offensive. It's not a piece of jewelry around your neck. It is offensive. It was on that cross that God's Son, Jesus Christ, bled, suffered, and died for me and for you. It was not an easy thing. It was not a trip to Disney World. It was horrific. And When I think about how Joshua compels me to not fall prey to this intermixing of, well, you know, it's not that bad. What's the Word of God say? Ladies and gentlemen, we, 
oftentimes have worried more about being PC than being BC. Politically correct rather than biblically correct. I, I want you to understand that was Joshua's concern, but not only was it that, it was he, he was afraid they would compromise their commitment. Look at verse 8. But you shall cling to the Lord your God just as you have done to this day. It's interesting that Joshua used the word cling or cleave to describe their relationship with God. It's the same word that Moses used to describe the close and the lasting relationship there is to be between a man and a wife, a husband and wife. It means literally to be glued together. I've always wanted to do a ceremony where I took some glue and just wouldn't do that to the dress, ladies, but wanted to give them a picture of what it means to be glued, cleave together. Look at verse 9. For the Lord has driven out before you great and strong nations, and as for you, no man will be able to stand before you to this day. One man of you puts to flight a thousand, since it is the Lord your God who fights for you, just as he promised you. Be very careful, therefore, to love the Lord your God. Who we are as believers is not about law or legalism. Some of you, some of you are like me, and some of you uh, need to do some of the things that I'm doing to get away from this. For many years of my life, it was all about the rules. It's all about the rules. Legalism. Can I tell you something? I'm so glad that the Lord has liberated me from that legalism. I don't always have to agree with you. And you know what? You don't always have to agree with me. I tell my wife that all the time. But I'm going to love her. I'm glued to her. I want you to understand that Joshua, someone who doesn't, it, it, he, he was saying it's about love. Someone who doesn't love the Lord won't live for the Lord. There, there, there are people in churches who are here every Sunday who it's all about the law. It's all about legalism. It's not about love. And I want you to understand that Joshua feared that the people would compromise. Did he have a legitimate fear? Well, you only have to go a few cha short chapters to figure that out. Judges chapter 2, verse 10, and all that generation also were gathered to their fathers. And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. Statistics show us that those 40 and younger in age have less commitment to God, the church, and the Bible than ever before. That's bad, but you know what's even worse? It doesn't seem that many my age and older really care. It's almost like my generation is saying, so what? It's just the way it is. I'll tell you so what. My children, my grandchildren, their eternal their eternity, their eternal souls are at stake in this, ladies and gentlemen. People my age and older need to encourage these millennials and Gen Xers and whatever titles we put on them. I, I want you to know that some of the, the young people that, that, that I'm meeting these days that are 
committed and sold out. We, we need to continue to mentor them, but we need to get them into leadership. They will be a great encouragement for the church. Don't, don't have them be ashamed of their youth. Ladies and gentlemen, we need to focus very, very sharply on this generation because when this generation comes to Christ, they're sold out. They're committed. The, one of the reasons we're not seeing a lot of them come to Christ is because we don't care. We just simply don't care about them. And until the church decides we are going to do whatever it takes to reach them for Christ, we'll continue to decline and not see young people in the church. I walked into a church in Cuba many years ago pastored by an 87-year-old pastor. The upper room, Baptist Iglesia, in downtown Havana, you had to climb four flights of steps to get into this worship center. It was a fiasco. It was crazy. I thought, what? who in the world would have ever put a church up here? Walked in there on a Sunday night to preach, and out the choir walked, and it was filled with 20-somethings, and they were, they were dancing and shouting, and they had robes on, and I thought, it is 95 degrees in here. Who put them in robes? And they were playing a piano, and they brought the house down, and I looked at this older pastor, and I said, where did all these young people come from? He said, we reached them for Christ. This is the student service. All of our older people are back in the other building praying for God's power in this service tonight. They're on their knees. They didn't even have a seat in the church. They gave them all up for the students. Wouldn't, wouldn't you like to have to give your seat up for a 20-something that wanted to come to church? And ladies and gentlemen, I saw that happen. I've seen that happen in various places. And I long for it to happen even in this country. But, but I want you to understand, lastly, that Joshua gave them a challenge. Joshua chapter 24, verse 1, Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem and summoned the elders, the heads, the judges, and the officers of Israel, and they presented themselves before God. Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Long ago your fathers lived before the Euphrates, Terah, the father of Abraham and of Nahor, and they served other gods. And then I took your father Abraham from beyond the river and led them through all the land of Canaan and made his offspring many. I gave him Isaac. Consider the grace of God. Joshua's challenge was this. Consider. Consider what? The grace of God. The children of Israel were living in the promised land only because of the grace of God. We are here today only because of the grace of God. It was the grace of God that called their father Abraham out of pagan idolatry into truth. It's only by the grace of God that we, someone invited my dad to bring his family to a church. I wasn't even in that family yet. I wasn't even thought of. I was a twinkle in my dad's eye. And someone preached the gospel truth. I owe everything, and so do you, to the grace of God. But consider the faithfulness of God. Joshua said in verse 4, And to Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau, and I gave Esau the hill country. And all of a sudden, Joshua begins to talk about the faithfulness the unbelievable faithfulness of God. Listen to what he says. They fought with you and I gave them into your hand and you took possession of their land and I destroyed them before you. Consider, 
Consider the faithfulness of God. But not only that, consider the goodness of God. Look at verse 13. I gave you a land on which you had not labored and cities that you had not built and you dwell in them. You eat the fruit of vineyards and olive orchards that you did not plant. Ladies and gentlemen, long before you, there was a church. For many years, this church has been here, and there were those who have come before us that have paid the price. We ought to thank God, and we should consider the goodness of God. But not only did he say consider, he said choose. Look at verse 14. Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in truth and put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it seem evil, the wrong thing to do unto you to serve the Lord, choose, make a decision, you this day, whom you will serve, whether the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the flood or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. In plain English, Joshua told them it was time to make up their minds. It was time to choose. God never forces us to serve him, does he? He always gives us the freedom of choice. In my mind, ladies and gentlemen, if the grace of God, the faithfulness of God, and the goodness of God is not enough to motivate us to serve him, then nothing will motivate us. This past week, I was doing our chapel service on Thursday morning at Agape Flights. God began to speak to me through a video. <laughs> David Platt was preaching. I was sharing a, a video. Most of you know that for many years in my life, I have been involved in missionary events, and especially on the island nation of Cuba, and Haiti, Dominican, Belarus, all over the country, all over the world. And it was like God said to me, Alan, it's time. I said, Lord, I, I don't understand. I, I want to be faithful. I want to be faithful. I, I, I'm serving as the CEO of Agape Flights. I'm, I'm the transitional pastor of a wonderful church in Bradenton. And the Lord began to just speak to my heart. I said, Lord, I will follow you. I will do anything you want me to do for you. I will go to the ends of the earth. I, I went home that, that afternoon. I said, Jennifer, Sweetheart, I don't know what God, but God is stirring me. God is stirring me. What? Help me. And she said, Alan, God's been stirring me for, for a year. I've just been praying that, that, that it just wasn't me. That, but, but I had to hear from you, and God's been stirring me. Her ministry has blossomed and grown, and Word of Joy is, is going to five different countries this year. It's amazing all that God is doing. But I'm asking you as my church family today, pray for me. Because I, I want to be found faithful. I want to I do this thing. I want to do it right. I want to finish strong. I don't want to look back when I'm 80 or 100 years old and say, God, I missed you. I missed doing what you called me to do. I, I don't know, but I sense in my spirit that, that in the years to come, God is going to make a way somehow for me to go to Cuba, for me to 
plant my life there. I don't know. But, but, but God is working on my heart even as I preach this message to a people that, that I, I just look forward to being with you this morning. I longed to see your face just to share with you what God was saying to my heart. And I don't know. I wish I had a crystal ball that I could look into and say this is where God is going to lead First Baptist Church Bradenton. But, and please don't take that analogy and run with it because I don't believe in crystal balls. Okay? It's, it's, it's an analogy only. Some of you are again looking at me like, whoa. I want you to know that I believe, I really do, based upon God's word, based upon the faithfulness of God, that he is saying to us today, choose this day. Individually and First Baptist Church, choose. Don't make a half-hearted commitment. Lay it all out. It's for me and my house. Let's serve the Lord. Ladies and gentlemen, I hope that one of these days I can come back here when I'm 82. And I can tell you this is what God has done in the last 20 years. But I hope I'm bold enough to stand tall enough and strong enough and say, I believe this is what God is going to do with me the next 20 years. That put me at 102. That's pretty good, isn't it? I want to finish strong, but you know what? I want First Baptist Church to finish strong. Time is short, ladies and gentlemen. The Lord is coming back again. If you don't believe that, you better read his word. He's coming again. But in this moment, in this time, he's asking us, choose You're going to continue going through the motions? You're going to continue to, well, you know, I'll serve if. That's not service. Lord, here I am. Send me. Where are you going, Alan? I don't know. What are you going to do? I don't know yet. But he does. Let's pray. Father. Help us to make a wise choice today, Lord.